0: Father, it is good to be in your house. It's good to be with your people. And Lord, as we have been reminded in song about your greatness in this time of year, we ask that you would forgive us of any and all sin. We pray that our minds would have focus on you, our eyes would see and our ears would hear the things you would have us to take in. And Lord, it's easy for us to put on a spiritual front but not be very spiritual. And so cleanse us and prepare us to receive the word by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help me, that I would be the servant you've called me to be to preach faithfully your word and not hold back, to not be concerned with pleasing people, but pleasing God. And Father, I pray that you would guide me, that your spirit would empower me, that your hand of favor and blessing would rest on me, for I cannot do this without you, and I dare not try. And so lead me through this passage, and lead us together as your people through it, and teach us, and guard us, and protect us as a people and as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Ferguson, Missouri is a mess. Heated racial tensions run rampant through that city. Mistrust is widespread among the people toward law enforcement and law enforcement toward the people. Anger and frustration are heavy and thick in the air, and accusations just fly back and forth encased in emotional outbursts. It is very, very sad when a city and its people are in such a mess. Sadder still is when God's house and God's people are in a mess. Sadder still is a church where there's deep seated unresolved issues, where there's mistrust and anger, where there's egos and arrogance that are in the way. And many, many a church through the years has become nothing but a mess. I love our church. You love our church? Amen. I love our church, and I love what God has done over these last 20 years here. We've been blessed with people and buildings and staff and land and ministries. We've been blessed, and we must never take the blessings of God for granted. In 20 years, I've seen many churches and many pastors in this area come and go. I've witnessed many ministries stagnate and churches close their doors. I've seen seemingly healthy churches self-destruct, and implode. And our church has thrived by God's grace and goodness, and we must never take it for granted. And we must never take credit for what God alone in his goodness has done. Well, this morning, I want us to learn how to make a mess out of ministry. And you may say, why? (laughs) not because we want to see our church self-destruct, but I want us to look at the negative in order to learn the positive, and I want us to see the bad in order to grasp the message and the importance of the good, and I want us to see what God wants to do in protecting his work. So we're going to see how to get into a mess so we can learn how to get out of a mess so that we can never get into a mess. Capiche) So I want you to turn to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah chapter 13, because this poor man comes back to a ministry that is a mess. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah has returned from the land of Persia, maybe been there upwards of two years. He gets back to Jerusalem, and, and it's a mess. The ministry of God's house is suffering, and there's mistrust among the leaders and among the people. And this high priest, Eliashib, has allowed the archenemy, Tobiah the Ammonite, to move into the temple complex and, and set up a room where the tithes used to be. He's now moved the tithes out and moved Tobiah in. Nehemiah, Nehemiah has kicked this guy to the curb, cleansed the room, but there's still more to deal with. And we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 10. We read in verse 10 of Nehemiah 13. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together, restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of grain, wine, oil into the storehouses. And in charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Pideah of the Levites. And in addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakor, the son of Medaniah. For they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God. And do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of Of my God and its services. Well, how do you make a mess out of ministry? Number one, you starve the staff. That's how you start. I discovered the portions of the Levites had not been given them. So the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his, his field. So they mistreated the servants of God. This was another unexpected surprise. Nehemiah says, I discovered this. So first, Tobiah was moved into the temple. Major no-no against the law, Ammonite, archenemy of God. And secondly, they were withholding payment from the servants of God, the Levites. So, so get this straight. They moved the enemy, giving him royal treatment, and provided for the enemy in God's house, while at the same time, they took God's servants, they left them out and took advantage of them. Something's wrong with this picture. Be careful what you do for the enemy that you're not doing for God. How are you helping the enemy and not helping God? How how are you giving to the enemy in your life and not giving to God? Where are you leaving God out and at the same time you're helping the enemy? Be very, very careful in your life not to help your arch enemy while at the same time leaving God out of the equation with your service, with your giving, and with blessing him. That's what these people were doing. Maybe for some of you here, it's time to stop helping Tobiah, and it's time to start supporting God. The Levites weren't being paid for their services, and this was a warning given by Moses in Deuteronomy 12, 19. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. So tithes and offerings had been withheld, and the officials were not distributing the funds necessary to support the Levites. Now, I want to speak to the leadership of the church here, the leadership board. I want you to understand this. It's not your job to keep the staff poor. It's not your job to see how little that you can get away with with paying the staff. And it's not your job to withhold what is due to the servants of God. And you may say, oh man, Pastor Scott's picking a fight. What's going on behind the scenes? Nothing. As we work through the word of God, as I preach through Nehemiah, what's a beautiful thing of a book study? You take passage by passage by passage, and can you skip anything? No. And should I skip anything? No. No. And so I will not skip anything. And so this is a good warning to the leadership of the church. Don't do this. You're not doing it. Praise God our leaders aren't doing it. And don't do it. By the way, even in the New Testament, we're told, matter of fact, 1 Timothy five seventeen. the elders, that's the pastors, that's the staff who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. That's financial payment, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I'll say that part again. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle what? Now, I don't like being called an ox, but anyway, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. The laborer is worthy of his what? So the people who work in the church, whether they're custodial staff Whether they're office staff, whether they're pastors or directors, they are worthy of their hire. They are worthy of their wages. Amen? I said amen. Okay. Now, you starve the staff. Look what happens to the staff. They leave. So the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. Uh, this is not a threat. This is just a fact. This is what happened. If, if the staff isn't treated well, they leave. If the staff isn't paid fairly, they should leave. L- leaders who set the salaries, you guys got to wrestle with this fact. If you have a good staff, you take care of them. If you don't want to lose your staff, you provide well for them. It's the same thing in business. You, you own your own business. You're a boss. You're over other people. You have good staff people, and you're wondering, why are they leaving? Because you're not taking good care of them. God says, hey, Learn a good lesson here. You got good people, you take good care of them. That's all he's teaching. The Levites left. Where'd they go? They went home. They could provide better for their family elsewhere. They were going to do it. If they're not appreciated and cared for it, it was time for them to go. And so the ministers leave and the ministries languish. So the service waned and the service suffered and the service of God's house dried up. That's the consequences of not taking care of your staff. You lose your staff. And that's the consequences of not taking care of your staff. Then all of a sudden, the services of God's house struggle, and they dry up. And that's what was happening at the temple in Jerusalem. The staff wasn't taken care of, so the staff left, and the service of God's house went down. Now, Nehemiah knew the importance of ministry staff. Without staff, there wasn't going to be teaching. It would be neglected. Without staff, the worship would be diminished. The Levites were important to teaching the word of God and ministering to the people of God. We saw this in Nehemiah 8. The Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They, they, placed. they read from the book of the law of God, translating to give a sense so that they understood the reading. The Levites taught the people. Okay, later on in verse 11, they calmed the people. So, so they taught the word and they ministered to the people and worship leaders were important. Nehemiah twelve forty six. from the days of David and Asaph in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all of Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions, to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites. So how do you make a mess out of ministry? Number one starve the staff so don't do that secondly ignore the issues just ignore it pretend problems don't exist wait for problems to go away which they won't they'll just get bigger uh sweep problems under the rug see some of you are so adverse to confrontation you think problems are going to go away in your family they're not You've got to communicate. You've got to deal with this situation. You've got to grow up. You've got to mature. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. That's good leadership. That's what we have in Nehemiah. Verse 11, I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. Nehemiah was not going to pretend problems didn't exist. He was not going to wait for problems to go away because they weren't going to. He wasn't going to sweep them under the rug. He was willing to confront Who did he reprimand? He reprimanded the officials, not the staff, not those who left. He reprimanded the priests, the officials that were in charge of distributing the funds. These were the guys who exercised oversight over God's house. And this is the amazing thing. Nehemiah is a layman. And he has to come to the spiritual leaders and say, What is your problem, people? Why aren't you doing what you are supposed to do in helping fellow servants that you are over? They had disobeyed the law. They had broken their promises. And leadership must be held accountable. These guys were responsible for fulfilling their obligation and oversight. They weren't doing it. They were responsible for modeling generosity. They weren't doing it. They were responsible for making sure the staff and the servants of God were paid. They weren't doing it. And so he reprimands them. Hey, he had reprimanded the high priest earlier. He can certainly do it with these priests. And he did. You've got to be willing to confront You also need to be willing to question. Why is the house of God forsaken? Nehemiah, once again, calls it like it is. You have forsaken the house of God. Your irresponsibility didn't just hurt the staff. It hurt the ministry of God's house. How you care for the staff directly impacts the ministry of God's house. He's saying you've affected the worship of God, the house of God, the ministry of God. Because you didn't take care of the staff of God. He was willing to confront. He was willing to question. Certainly he does not ignore the issues. He's willing to take the initiative. He says, then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. He gets all these guys who had formerly gone to their homes and said, guys, I'm bringing you back. Nehemiah is a go-getter. Nehemiah is a difference maker. He took it upon himself to regather the staff. Good leaders, get in there and get the job done. Stop bemoaning the mess everything is in and help out and make it right. Stop philosophizing the whys and wherefores and do something. Stop talking about it and mulling it over and change it. Some of you, all you do is talk, 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 talk. It's so bad, it's so bad. And you bemoan this situation in your family and your work. And it's like, would you just shut up and do something? Why don't don't you make good? Stop gossiping and stop slandering and stop putting down people at work and putting down people in your family or putting down people in a church and why don't you get in there and make it better? Keep your mouth shut and get your hands and your feet busy. That's a good leader. And that's what Nehemiah teaches us. He gathers them and he restores them, it says. Restored them to their posts. He restored people to where they should be. He restored ministry to what it should be. And he restored honor to the servants of God and to the house of God and to the people of God. For some of you here, you need to restore some people. You you know people that haven't been in church in years because somebody hurt them or somebody did this or whatever and they're feeling sorry for themselves. You need to go out and get them. You need to win their trust. You need to say, you need to be back in church with me. I'm picking you up next week. And not just say, oh, I'm so sad about so-and-so. They don't come to church anymore. They don't go any." Go get them. Restore people. Gather people. Restore them to ministry. Restore them to honor. Now, restoration was not going to be easy for Nehemiah. It, it would have taken caring, that he really cared for those people, and he showed love to them. When you restore people, it, it takes convincing and assuring and winning their trust. That staff had given up. They had moved on. Some of them were hurt, and they weren't coming back. He had to convince them and assure them and win their trust. It would have taken vision casting, the importance of what you are doing, and this is what God has called you to do, and this is how God has created you, and this is how God has gifted you, and you're having an impact with God's people, and you're having an impact with God's house. See, when you restore people, you have to really care for them and love them. Nehemiah did that. When you restore people, you need to convince and assure them and win their trust because some of them have given up and they've moved on. And you need to cast some vision, the importance of who they are in God's eyes and how God has gifted them and they have a place they can call home and they can get involved and they have an impact that they can make for the kingdom of God. That's the kind of man Nehemiah is and that's the kind of person God wants you and I to be. How do you make a mess out of ministry? Well, you starve the staff. Don't do that. You ignore the issues. What? Don't do that. Thirdly, refuse the offering. Don't do that. Look at verse 12. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, the wine, the oil into the storehouses. So everybody started to give, which tells me they had stopped giving. They had reneged on their former promise in chapter 10. We will also bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, new wine, the oil to the priests, the chambers of the house of God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites. The Levites, who will, they will receive the tithes in all the royal towns, and it ends in verse 39. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Say it with me. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. They had made a promise that they would financially contribute To the work and people of God. How quickly God's people forget their promises. Don't forget. How quickly people break their promises. Don't break them. Everyone started to give, which tells me not only had they stopped giving, it also tells me that the officials weren't the only ones with the problem. Remember the officials withholding the payments to the staff? So the officials were withholding payment, but the people were withholding their tithes and offerings, and so there's obvious connection between the two. Talk about a frustrated staff at the temple. No wonder they quit. Talk about a disrespected staff. No wonder they quit. I want you to hear this. When you don't financially support the servants of God, you frustrate us. A lot more ministry could be done. A lot more ministry we want to do. And we can't. When you don't financially support the servants of God, you frustrate us. When you don't financially support the servants of God, you disrespect us. Because obviously our ministry is not worth your money. That's what you're saying, whether you mean to say it or not. Pastor Scott, your ministry's not worth my money. Bill, Laura, your ministry to children's not worth my money. Raleigh, your ministry's not worth my money. Gary, whoever else is on staff, you're you're just not worth our money. That's exactly what you say. When you don't give financially to support the servants of God, you frustrate us, you disrespect us. When you don't financially support the servants of God, you hurt us. You hurt us. Because honestly, you use us, and you take advantage of us, And you take us for granted. Because some of you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And you sit under good, I believe, solid biblical teaching. And your children are cared for and loved and taught life-changing truths. And you're led in worship and praise. And you never give a thing. You're a leech, spiritually speaking. You suck off the marrow of this church. And you never give back to it. Yes, you should be ashamed. Yes, you are guilty. Yes, you do need to repent. And yes, you do need to start obeying God. Yes, you do. Everyone started to give, which tells me they had stopped giving. The officials weren't the only problem. And that confidence was now restored. What do you mean? Well, maybe the people had lost confidence because of the officials that were in charge of the temple. Why would you give to God's house if the high priest has allowed Tobiah, the Ammonite, an enemy, into the temple complex? I mean, people aren't dumb. We can smell hypocrisy a mile away. If God's hand isn't in it, I'm not going to give to it. Right? I mean, why would the people give if they don't have confidence in the leadership? The officials failed to understand that they not only hurt the faithful staff, they encouraged disobedience among God's people. You know what Nehemiah's strong, godly leadership did? It restored confidence. It restored confidence for the people. The people started following with confidence, and the people started giving generously with confidence. I want you to understand, you can give to God with confidence at this church. There is full accountability and vulnerability at this church. 100%. 100%. So, so don't use any excuse. And don't use the staff as an excuse. You need to deal with this between you and God. And for some of you, it's a deep-seated issue of selfishness. Because you always think somebody's after your money. Your money is a test of your heart for God. And you need to deal with that before the Lord. Verse 12 they brought the tithe of grain and wine and oil into the storehouses. Literally, a tithe was a tenth. This was what the Old Testament law prescribed for giving to God. And many Christians down through the ages have made the Israelite tenth or tithe a good starting point for giving, a model for generosity. Giving is good. What does it do? It tests our faith in God. Words of the prophet Malachi during the same period of Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? What? Yet yeah, you're robbing me. You say, well, how have we robbed you? In what? tithes, and offerings. God says, you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The whole nation was. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and what? Test me now in this. See, it's a test of faith. When you give to God, it's a test of faith. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So, so giving is a test of faith, and giving is a test of your heart, Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroyed, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will be also. So money really tests where a heart is. God uses my money, God uses your money as a heart test. I like how Warren Wiersbe put it. Giving is both the thermostat and the thermometer of the Christian life. It measures our spiritual temperature, and it also helps set it at the right level. It's a test of faith. It's a test of heart. Some has found it to be a test of our health. American psychiatrist Dr. Carl Menninger said this, money giving is a good criterion of a person's mental health. Generous people are rarely what? Mentally ill people. Isn't that Interesting. It's also been said by an unknown Arthur: the world is full of two kinds of people, the givers and the takers. The takers eat well, but the givers what? They sleep well. It's good to sleep well when you're generous. Storehouses were being filled. The servants of God were being provided for. The ministry of God was flourishing again. I want to encourage you to help the ministries of Harvest flourish. Give and give generously. And don't hold back from God. There's so much more we can do as a church. There's so many more ministries we can empower and encourage. There's so many more pastors we want to bring on staff. We don't don't have any more pastors budgeted for next year. Do we need them? Yeah. Would you like to bring them on? Yeah. I want to encourage you not just to give generously on special offerings day like today, but consistent giving. Give consistently. Today is our Thanksgiving, fifth Sunday, offering day, and you may say, you planned this. No, I'm going through Nehemiah. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how God does that? He lands his word right where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. And you know this. We want to take a bold stand for the true meaning of Christmas, have a drive-through light display, and share the gospel with literally thousands of people starting next Christmas. That's our goal. Today's offering will help go toward launching that, retrofitting the office, expanding it, getting one of our pastors out of a closet. Not Well, be careful with that, but you understand what I'm saying. His office is in the closet. We've got to make room for him. Give to that. We need to retrofit the youth auditorium. We need to finish off the backstage. There's a lot of things here. So give generously, not just on special offerings days, but get in the habit of weekly, biweekly giving. How do you make a mess out of ministry? You starve the staff and you ignore the issues and you refuse the offering. Don't do those things. Fourthly, keep the status quo. Not Nehemiah. No mediocrity here. Look at verse 13. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and Pediah the, of the Levites. In addition to them was Hanun the son of Zechor, the son of Madaniah. For they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. So all of a sudden, Nehemiah makes some changes. Changes are not always easy. But changes are often very necessary. You have a very bad football team, you change the coach. You have a bad baseball team, you change the manager. You have bad companies, you change the president or the CEO. You have a bad church or bad ministries, you change the pastors, you change the staff. If you don't change, nothing will change. Say it with me. If you don't change, nothing will change. Nehemiah knows this. He's a good leader. If he doesn't make changes, nothing is going to change. Good leaders understand this. It is hard to make changes. It's, it's, it's not always easy, but it's also very necessary at times. Good leadership must be put in place. And competent leadership must be put in place. Why? Because everything rises and falls on what? Leadership. And Nehemiah wasn't going to let the same old mess happen again. At your place of work, it's the same old mess. Maybe it's time for a leadership change. You don't want the same old mess. you got to make sure the right people are in the right place. And he appoints and he entrusts these four guys as supervisors and overseers. He delegates leadership responsibilities because he can't do it all, and he needs good leaders in place, and he has this broad cross-section of men. He's got a priest, Shelemiah, He's got a Levite, Zadok. He's got a scribe, Padiah, And he's got a layman, Hanan. Four guys that are going to make it happen. Four guys he has complete confidence in. Four guys that are going to make sure this mess never happens again. Organization and administration is very, very important. If you don't want a mess. Organization and And administration is very important in a church if you don't want to mess. Organization and administration is very important in your place of work if you don't want to mess. Organization and administration is very important in your home if you don't want to mess. Who's doing what chores? Who's cleaning up this? Who's taking care of this? you got so many moms doing everything. It's time to start delegating to the kids. Make those dudes earn their keep. All mom said. Amen. And dad, you need to come along, mom, and say, we're going to organize this together. We're going to make sure we divvy up the responsibilities because she's pulling her hair out. you got a mess unless you organize and administrate. Nehemiah teaches this leadership at every level it applies. Who does he go after? People who are reliable. They were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. So are you considered reliable? It's pretty important for leadership. Kids at home with your chores, are you reliable? You just have to constantly be reminded. Students in school with assignments and work, are you reliable? You wait till the last minute and try to get it all done. Employees at work with your job, are you seen as reliable? Can you be counted on? Are you dependable? volunteers a church with your service and ministry you follow through you show up you give it your best don't shortchange the work of god nehemiah went after those who were reliable and he checked their references these were considered reliable be careful who you hire proverbs 26:10 very good advice like an archer who wounds everyone that's the bad hire So is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. You you just don't take a warm body. You just don't grab the first person that comes along and hire them. You check their references. Let me give you six C's when it comes to reference checking or or people you want to hire. Here they are. Are they a person of character? Do they have integrity? Competency. Are they gifted and able to do the job? Chemistry, are they a good fit with the people that are there? Calling, are they burdened from God to do this? Commitment, do they have a long-term mindset? This isn't just a stepping stone to something else that I'll be gone in a year or two. Capacity, are they a difference maker? You want to hire difference makers. You want to bring on difference makers. I like the story of a new recruiter. He was a new recruiter for a very successful college football team, and he came to his old veteran coach, who was highly respected across the nation, and he said, Coach, I'm heading out on my first recruiting trip. What kind of player do you want me to recruit? This crusty old coach looked the guy in the eye, and he said, you're going to find some players who get knocked down and they stay down. That's not the kind we want. They get knocked down, they stay down, don't go after them said, you're going to find some players who get knocked down, and they get right back up, and they get knocked down again, and then they stay down. That's not the kind we want. Then the coach said, you'll also find some players who get knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, and every single time they get knocked down, they get right back up. At that point, the young recruiter got excited and said, now that's the kind of player we want, isn't it, coach? He said, no, we want the guy who's knocking everybody down. You want the difference makers. You want the game changers. You want the best people possible in positions of leadership. And by the way, that's who God wants you to be. He wants you to be the difference maker. He wants you to be the game changer in this church, the game changer in ministry, the game changer at your place of work, the game changer on your team at school. That's what he wants you to be. The best people possible. Those are the ones that need to be put in leadership. Right people are reliable. Right people, he says, are competent. Says their task is to distribute to their kinsmen. He doesn't want the same mess. The mess before was a lack of distribution and a lack of support and staff going home. And he didn't want that to happen. He wants faithful, trustworthy people. 1 Corinthians two. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? That's what it takes. Faithful to do the job, people depending on you, ministry depending on you, God depending on you. Task to complete, do it. Duties to fulfill, do them. Work to follow through on, stay on task. How do you make a mess out of ministry? Starve the staff. Don't do it. Ignore the issues. Don't do it. Refuse the offering. Don't do it. Keep the status quo. Don't do it. Finally, verse 14, leave the Lord out. You want to make a mess of your life, mess of a church, mess of your family, just leave the Lord out. And in no time, it'll be a big mess. Verse 14, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I've performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah 11 times in this book will go to God in prayer. He's constantly going to God in prayer. He's constantly seeking God's blessing, seeking God's approval, seeking God's enablement, seeking God's favor. He says, remember me. Why? Because others are going to forget you. Others are going to forget your loyalty. Others are going to disregard your service. Others are going to forget your faithfulness. And he's saying, God, I just don't want you to forget me. I want you to, to give me the approval, God, not people, because I know people are, they're sinful. I, I know people are forgetful. God, I, I need your approval. That's all that matters. That's what he goes after, and that's what you need to go after. Uh, by the way, that's why I preach this passage like I did when I mentioned finances, because ultimately I'm accountable to God, not you. And, and I need to light a fire under some of your backsides, because you've been disobedient for so long. The only reason I can do that and say the things I say is because I'm accountable to God and I look to Him. Others may miss your loyalty. Not God. Others may disregard your service. Not God. Others may forget your faithfulness. Not God. Hebrews 6.10. Say this verse with me. For God is not unjust so to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God is not going to forget what you've done for Him. Others may but God will not. So, so he bathes us in prayer and he seeks reward from the Lord. Do not blot out my loyal deeds. And loyal describes his character. It emphasizes his commitment and highlights his devotion and his tireless zeal. And, and these acts were acts of loyal love. And these deeds are, are, are his actions. Don't forget my service. He's saying, I've poured my life into the work of God. I've poured my life into the people of God. Don't forget my service. Don't let my work come to naught. Nehemiah saying, I want assurance, Lord, that my work hasn't been in vain. Make my work count beyond my years. Make my work count beyond myself. And we could say to Nehemiah, don't worry, Nehemiah. Thousands of years later, you have blessed my life. Your work was not in vain. Thousands of years later, we read about you, Nehemiah. And we praise God for your example. Thousands of years later, we sit in a little church in Oswego, Illinois, God's people, and we thank God for this man, Nehemiah. It was not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be steadfast and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Anything you do for the Lord is never in vain. Much of what we don't do for God is totally in vain. What you do for God is never in vain. So much of our lives, what we don't do for the Lord is totally in vain. And he confirms his motive in verse 14 I've performed for the house of my God and its services. It wasn't about him, it was all about God's house. And it wasn't about him, it was all about God's service. This was a layperson, not a hired staff. He was a layperson like 99% of you here, making a difference for God. Don't make it all about you. Make it about God's house. Make it about God's people. Make it about God's ministry. And don't make a mess out of ministry by starving the staff, ignoring the issues, refusing the offering, Just keeping the status quo and leaving the Lord out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this man, Nehemiah. It is one thing, Lord, to look in Scripture. It is another to live it out. Help your people by your spirit to take these words seriously and commit to them. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just talk to the Lord right now, you who know him. Wrestle with scripture. Wrestle with his spirit. Talk to God about that area of conviction. Talk to God about those commitments. Maybe it's being reliable. Maybe it's being generous. Maybe it's your service unto God. Talk to Him. Let God change you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one is more generous than God Almighty his son was born so that he might die on the cross to save you and to save me from all my sins there is no generosity like the generosity of god to give so much to we who deserve so little and you may say scott that's me i am a sinful man i'm a sinful woman and i need god i need his forgiveness what do i do In the quietness of your heart, I would just invite you to call out to the Lord in faith. Just call out to him in faith and use words like these. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. And I desperately need forgiveness. Please save me from my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I cannot save myself. Please save me from all my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.